0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your
1: host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, the show where we get together with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders with one purpose in mind to improve outcomes and reduce inefficiency. Today I have an outstanding guest. His name is Michael T. Rowan. He's a former president and chief operating officer of Catholic Health Initiatives in Denver, Colorado. It's one of the fifth largest health systems in the country. He's also a longstanding industry observer, lecturer, and author, having served in multiple executive and governance roles in leading health systems across the country. That's just the tip of the iceberg, but what I want to do is open up the microphone to Michael for him to round out that introduction. Michael, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Saul. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here and share a few thoughts with your listeners.
0: It was a wonderful introduction, You know, I'd note that I spent the last 30 years, really, since coming out of grad school, working in the health industry, primarily on the provider side. And I've worked all over the country, worked in uh, Colorado, worked in Georgia, Florida, Ohio, Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, again, at a number of leading healthcare organizations across the country. And so I've been Privileged to uh, understand and see what's uh, sometimes on the cutting edge out there.
1: Absolutely, Michael. You, you definitely have had such a breadth of not only uh, uh, experience in the healthcare system, but also geographically. And one of the things that struck me when I met you a couple weeks ago at the uh, Denver Health IT meeting was just your your presence. You know, you got an executive presence, and just uh, when we got to talking, uh, I was really inspired by some of your ideas. And so really glad that you're able to make time to be on the show. And then also recently saw an article that you put out on population health and your thoughts on that. And I'm excited to be able to dive into some of that during our interview today. Well, thank you. Now
0: I've been working over the last few months to try to put out about an article, if you will, a month sharing some thoughts on different subjects. The latest, of course, is, as you noted, one related to population health but I've also spent some time talking about keyboard responsibilities in terms of anticipating and driving change, leading through disruption, you know, the new skills and the collaboration required. Those kinds of topics, which I'd like to believe are important for all of us in the healthcare industry, whether we're on the provider side, the payer side, the vendor side, some generic
1: thoughts. Absolutely. And so why did you decide to get into the medical sector to begin with? Well,
0: interestingly enough, uh, I grew up in a healthcare family, if you will. Uh, My father was a practicing internal medicine physician in Ohio. And I had the opportunity as a child and a teenager to work in his office and also many summers to work in hospitals. And I just really enjoyed the environment. I will say I went off to college at Miami University in Ohio, great school. We share that, by the way, that is very nice. <laughs> Absolutely. And I got there and I really discovered that I wasn't into being a healthcare provider, but I liked the environment. And so I was busy getting a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration. And all of a sudden, two things just came together. The skill set I was developing in terms of uh, this Bachelor of Science in Business Administration coupled with this love of the healthcare industry. And I discovered there was something called hospital administration. And so it brought the two things together because most people don't realize that a hospital is a business. Same business principles that apply to manufacturing or sales or anything else apply to a hospital. And so it was just a great opportunity to put those two things together. And since I really wanted to be on the not-for-profit side because I wanted Mm -hmm. to make a contribution to society, it worked out perfectly. And that's how I evolved there.
1: Fantastic. Sounds like a really great way to get there. And your mind is set on contribution. And I think just with the different organizations you've been part of, it seems like you've done a really great job of that, Michael. As you get your thoughts together and you're, you're putting them out there in these different articles, I think it's great, by the way, that you're doing that. What's a hot topic out of all of them that you feel Are out there that should be on every medical leader's agenda today, and how should they approach it?
0: Well, you know, I would tell you that kind of at the top of the list and very topical today is the subject of population health because we are evolving away from fee for service, reimbursement, and healthcare. And not only is the reimbursement side changing, but we're also starting to understand. That there are different ways we should approach healthcare that lends itself to better outcomes in the end. Because right now and historically, there's always been this one on one relationship between a provider and the patient. Starting to understand that so much of health is determined by lifestyle. And so, lifestyle is something that individuals, people, not just patients, have to get their hands around so that they can make a difference for their own health care. Seven out of 10 people who die, die of illnesses that are related to lifestyle. So as we begin to have issues related to wellness and health promotion, we have the opportunity to be proactive about our health. And then secondarily, there's the other piece that once you do become ill, we're starting to understand that if we look across entire populations, we start to see certain patterns that suggest that there are better ways to treat illness itself also.
1: Now, Michael, and and you know, those numbers are, are pretty staggering. You know, seven out of 10 people die because of their lifestyle. And as both companies, payers and providers look to influence this space outside of the hospital, what would you suggest? Something that they should keep in mind if they really want to move the dial on outcomes to focus on?
0: Well, you know, I suggest this, especially for employers, because most of healthcare in this country is sponsored by employers, Mm -hmm. the private side, that it's important to start to engage people about their health. And, you know, I've been lucky. I worked at a number of uh, companies that had started a process where they started to encourage and even incentivize their employees to pay attention to their health. And it starts off with simple things like just helping your employees become aware of their own health situation. Working at Catholic Health Initiatives by way of example, five or six years ago, we started a program called Healthy Spirit. And what we did, very generic kind of work, went about a process where we invited all of our employees to have a personal health assessment paid for by the organization. So we started to help them understand where they sat in terms of their own individual health. The next step was to begin to encourage them to think about and understand those places that they had problems and challenges. And then we actually started to incentivize them to begin to think about living a healthy lifestyle. And some of the things are the the simple ones like moderating alcohol consumption, eliminating smoking, getting some regular exercise on a weekly basis. And in doing that, we also said, let's give you some real incentive to be able to really want to do this. And so we started to say that if you participated in certain activities, met certain goals, that we would give you a break on your health insurance costs. And we put together some programs and contests where individuals and teams of people Came together to engage in healthy behaviors to hit certain targets. And we gave them some cash rewards for that. And so
1: we got people engaged in their own health care. And that's the real key. And through the span of the program of Healthy Spirit, Michael, did you find any differences in you know, sickness or, or just outcomes that are worthy of note? Oh, absolutely. At Catholic Health Initiatives, using that
0: example, we had about 130,000 employees. And across those 130,000 employees, across a four-year time period, we managed to uh, generate about $175 million in savings. Now, a lot of it was through healthcare cost avoidance. That is, our populations of employees were less sick after the start of the program than they were before. And in generating these savings, what we found was that we were able to reduce our annual health insurance increases and drop them from 8% a
1: year annual increase before the program to about 2% after the program. That is highly significant. And congratulations to you and the team there for having achieved that because it's definitely not an easy one to manage. What resources or ideas would you give listeners that this may have resonated with just to access in order to get it done?
0: Well, you know, as a start, more and more Health systems are evolving themselves away from just treating sick people in the hospital, that is acute care. And they're beginning to think about how they engage in their community, specifically with large employers or with governmental payers to look at those groups and populations of patients and put together programs. Now, over the last couple of years under the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, there's been a lot of conversation about putting health systems and employers at risk for the health status of, you know, various populations out there. So more and more health systems are starting to say we're in the business or want to get in the business of contracting with individual employers or contracting with uh, governmental providers to take care of defined populations of patients with the belief that if we engage in certain interventions we can lower their cost of care and that as part of the contract, we should get a portion of those savings. So when you hear about people going at risk for the cost of the care, that's the thought process that an organization like a health system, sometimes an insurance provider will come in and say, we'll take this defined population of patients. We know this is their utilization rate, and how much it costs. And if we can bring that down, we want a percentage of
1: those savings. That's really interesting, Michael. And as the entire system does evolve and, and you know more and more, more folks are, are going toward this acute care to now employer government contracts to help reduce the cost of care, I think it, there's a lot of incentives in place that not only benefit our society, but also you know, the health systems for doing it and also the, the employer's for achieving these goals. And you know, what are your thoughts on the other side of that? Because I feel like oftentimes it could be a feeling of like it's a zero-sum game where if you're taking uh, patients away from the hospital, then that's going to hit the bottom line of the actual hospital. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we'd like to believe it's really not a zero-sum game, but we also have to be realistic and say
0: that if you're in a hospital right now or a health system, reimbursement rates are being reduced and yes. they're being reduced for a couple of reasons one our country cannot afford the percentage of the gross national product that's going into health care especially when we understand and compare the health outcomes we see in this country with other developed nations and i think many people have read the statistics that say the united states spends more per capita on health care than any country in the world yet we are ranked somewhere around the 60 healthiest country in the world and that there are actually some third world countries that have lower infant mortality rates and are starting to have uh, longer lifespans than in the united states so what we're doing is not working right well as it should So one, reimbursement rates are coming down anyway. Health systems have to begin to think about getting into other businesses, and they have to also understand that the incentives that have been put in place by the Affordable Care Act mean you're also not going to get paid unless you produce better outcomes. Because again, historically, health systems were paid based on just the fact that they did work. Right, fee-for-service. They weren't paid based on the outcomes. And so more and more, they're getting paid based on outcomes, or at least outcomes are influencing the payment rates, whether it be taking a hit in your reimbursement if people are readmitted to the hospital, taking a hit in your reimbursement if uh, people are in the hospital longer than average, those kinds of things. So it's a great questions, Dolph.
1: Absolutely, Michael. And I appreciate your, your responses. Uh, they're very insightful. And um, with the reimbursement Situation being in a very deflationary state, we have to start looking outside of the bounds. And, and you're you're just so so knowledgeable in in the way that this transition could be made, uh, sort of with your consultant hat on, and just kind of helping systems that don't know how to pivot. What would your words of wisdom be to healthcare execs looking to pivot from this deflationary scenario to something that they could turn into a more long-term business that also benefits patients?
0: Well, you know, I I think that we need to understand and recognize that right now the healthcare industry, and again, whether you be an insurance provider, whether you be a vendor, whether you be a patient care provider, we're all in the midst of very disruptive times. And everybody's reimbursement is being cut. Sure. And people are not happy with the Healthcare outcomes they're seeing, they're not happy with the inflation in the cost of medical devices. And insurance companies are under pressure also because uh, people aren't happy about their ever increasing uh, premiums. So I think it's all a matter of getting down to the basics of business. And the basics of business you know start with the idea of understanding who we are, understanding in terms of, if you want to call it an environmental assessment of your particular organization and how it fits in the industry. That varies from local market to local market, but we really have to have a commitment out of organizations to begin to think about how do we go about developing new skills and capabilities in our various organizations. I think it, it starts with the idea that you know there's four or five things that organizations need to do. Number one, they need to analyze local market shifts in health insurance product offerings and begin to think about creating new sources of revenue and new business models that are financially viable, especially understanding that reimbursement is being cut. I think it's important to begin to think about partnerships. I mean, realistically, whether the partnerships be at the provider level, where nurses and doctors are thinking about how to approach producing great clinical outcomes by working together in a more coordinated fashion, or whether it's hospitals and doctors beginning to think about new organizational models that align the facility and the physician's financial incentives, or I'll even throw out health systems need to begin to think about how they partner with insurance companies to put together products that employers and the federal government are interested in purchasing from them, again, creating the right kinds of outcomes. And again, sometimes the outcomes are at the patient level, sometimes the outcomes at the organizational level. And then I think the other piece of it that's important for any employer or any organization is working to educate all employees in your organization about the business you're in. How do you get reimbursed? How do you get paid? What do people think about your product or service? How do you manage expenses? How do you manage customer satisfaction? Again, whether that be a patient or a health system as customer or the federal government as a customer. And again, how do you get employees to understand the relationship between their work and the mission of the organization? Those are the basic things that I think any organization has to be able to do. Uh,
1: That's a really powerful share, Michael. Appreciate that. And think of this concept of you know educating your people about the business that you're in. And I think the idea of what business are we in, in healthcare, you know, I think that that idea is, is shifting. And for those uh, companies and, and healthcare systems that are, are making the evolution to what healthcare will be 10 to 20 years from now, I think the thought process starts today and it's being able to communicate the vision to the people at the front line that's gonna really help make the transition from what it, the way it is today to how it's gonna be tomorrow and for us to be able to stay in business. So I think that's such a powerful share. And one of the things that triggers in my mind is just a question for you is with this and in your insights, what would you say one of your proudest medical leadership experiences you've had to date? There's probably two that come to mind, and they're at opposite ends of the
0: spectrum. One was a very business-oriented kind of thing, and and one was a was a healthcare-oriented kind of thing. On the healthcare side, the biggest accomplishment I think that I was able to engage in was over the last five years, right before I left CHI, we turned our organization around and became very committed to an understanding that we had to improve the quality of care. The reality wasn't that we were providing poor care, we were just providing very average care. And Mm -hmm. the challenge is that if you go to any particular organization in this country, what you will find is there's wide variability in care. Anybody can come into a hospital and spend anywhere from one to five days, spend anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000, all for the same illness. The challenge is there's 100% variation in the quality and cost of care that any individual patient has. And that's to say, a patient can come in hospital A and be there five days, spend $5,000 and have two complications. That same patient could go in another hospital or even the same hospital with the same problem and be there for 10 days and spend $10,000 and have four complications. So we began to think scientifically about setting up standards within our organization, by service line, that is by clinical service line, whether it be orthopedics, cardiovascular services, et cetera, and begin to challenge the clinicians, nurses and doctors to think about looking amongst themselves to see who had the best outcomes and beginning to replicate some of the practices of those individuals. And in doing that, we were able to reduce the mortality rate in our facilities. And there were 100 hospitals in CHI by 5%. Now, that is a huge number of people who lived to tell the experience of having been in the hospital and having a serious illness.
1: Yeah, that's a big reduction, 5%. Made it through other processes. We did it
0: by standardizing care in the organization and by challenging physicians to think about looking at best practices. Now, on the business side, and this was a success that was probably 20 years ago, but it was really important. I came into an organization uh, at the time I was working in Ohio, and that organization had significant uh, management challenges and significant challenges with its employees. And across a two-year period, we were able, uh, and this is going back to something I talked about earlier, to engage the employees in our organization around the mission of the organization and help them understand what role they played in the organization. I started at organization, and at the time there were unionization attempts that were taking place in parts of the organization. The organization endured a 10-day strike among some of its employees. And as an organization, we just had a myriad of uh, problems in terms of employee relations. But we put in place, if you will, a credo that said, for our employees to do well and to be a part of our organization and to be happy, we had to have good management. And Mm -hmm. we actually set forth that there were five things we believed a good manager did. We said a good manager serves as an advocate for his or her employees. A good manager engages in two-way communication with his or her employees. A good manager seeks employee involvement in decision-making and management of the organization. A good manager treats all employees in a fair and consistent manner. And a good manager shares with employees a vision of how the activities of the department or unit advance the mission and goals of the organization. We put those in place, we made them very public, and we actually started evaluating our managers at every level from supervisor all the way up to CEO twice a year with a 25-question survey that each of their employees in their department took and rated them. We set an expectation that you had to score so high or you couldn't be a manager in in our organization. We got to the point where all of our managers across the organization we're scoring on a one to five, a zero to five scale, four or above. And across that time period, we started to see results in the organization. What we started to see was we improved our profitability in the organization from a negative $10 million loss the first year to by the time we're in the third year, we had a $30 million profit that year. So significant improvement. We saw an increase in employee satisfaction from being rated in the 70th percentile up into the 85th percentile. We saw a reduction in our expenses around the organization as employees started to think about waste in the organization. and We even saw an improvement in billing and collections and move from the point where we were collecting about uh, profitability, about $2,000 per admission up to nearly $4,000 per admission. And finally, in the nursing services, we became a nursing magnet organization designated. And so
1: That is a incredible. heck of a turnaround. <laughs>
0: uh, and it's all about engaging employees in managing and running the organization because they understand what business they're in and how they personally contribute.
1: So, wow. That's a, a fantastic story, Michael. And just brings to mind the importance of measuring, the importance of accountability, and clear communication in order to not only have effective leaders in the organization, but also to increase profitability and just improve overall engagement. Absolutely. So there's that, the light side of of things. Now, how about let's take a look at the other side of the coin, Michael. Can you share with the listeners a time where you made a mistake or had a setback? And what you learn from that, I feel like oftentimes we learn more from our setbacks.
0: Well, you know, probably some of the biggest setbacks I've had were in making decisions about hiring new executives and managers into the organization. Because again, especially where we're in the healthcare industry, it's a people business. People are our primary asset, and we got to think about how we do a good job of, of, of managing and, and working with them. Absolutely. My my biggest setbacks have been making mistakes and hiring executives who did not work out. And I wouldn't want to put the spotlight on any particular individual, but I can think of an organization where we had a nursing executive who was hired, who just did not have the people skills, had all the technical skills, had all the education and background but just didn't have the people skills to engage the employees. And not only did they not have the people skills, they were actually fairly antagonistic toward our employees and created unnecessary disruption in the organization. And uh, I can remember going through seven months of that person working there before we had to step in, and I had to take personal responsibility and say, this is a bad hire, We need to make a change.
1: How would you, and and absolutely a hot topic, you know, it happens to all of us. And so what did you take out of that, Michael, as far as, you know, maybe a process or a tip or a pearl to help to make sure that, that we do get the right people on the bus?
0: Well, a couple of things. As a start, you really have to hire for fit. And for me, that means going through a very intensive process in you recruit and interview people. I mean, I go through a process where I sit down for a two-hour interview with people. It's a structured interview where I probably have 15 different questions to help myself understand how will this person work in our organization, what's their management style, what have their successes in life been, what have their failures in life been, what kind of experiences have they had, and have they worked in an organization that's truly like the organization we're in. As a part of that process... I also try to bring a number of people into the interview process, both people who will be their peers and mm-hmm. people who will work for them to get their gauge and feel for people so that it's just not my decision alone, because I, I'm sure I have certain biases when I take my way through this. Then the second piece of it is after you hire someone being really clear about the expectations that uh, you have of the individual and be very quantitative about the expectations of things that they're supposed to accomplish. Now, in going through that process and in thinking quantitatively, it's not just about expenses and reimbursement and revenue. It's also about improvements in customer satisfaction, improvements in employee satisfaction. It's about the person's style of communication, their leadership ability, Are they capable of taking the resources in the organization that they are responsible for and using those resources to advance the mission of the organization? But literally, the first week a person walks in, it's about having a conversation to remind them about the interview process and the set of expectations that sit out there and having an expectation that they put together an action plan that says how they're going to go about their first six months and their first year, what they're going to accomplish, and how they're going to go about it. Those are the real keys.
1: Huge keys. And and Michael, as I think back to some of the uh, hiring mistakes I've made, your process here really kind of hits home with some of those mistakes, you know, the hiring for fit, making sure they fit the culture and interview panels to make sure that you're blind spots can be uncovered. And then finally, clarity and expectations. So what a great system that you've put together here and Outcomes Rocket listeners take notes of this as you look to form your teams and expand your teams to improve outcomes and have business success. It is all about making sure you have the right pieces and the right people in place. So Michael, this part of the interview, as we get closer to the end, is fun. It's what I call the, you and I are building a leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine. We're going to call it the 101 course or the ABCs of Michael Rowan. And so we're going to write out the syllabus together. It's going to be a lightning round. So for the four questions that I have here for you, just quick responses, and then we're going to finish with a book recommendation to our listeners. You ready? Yep. All right. What is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Understand best practices and implement standards across an organization. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: Allowing people, honestly, to deviate from those standards. It's easy to do in healthcare where we like to believe that sometimes medicine is an art versus a science. It really is a science and there is data that suggests a better way. How do you stay relevant? despite constant change? I think it's important to constantly read and keep up with the field and to engage in continuing education. And continuing education doesn't have to be a course or a program. It can be simply participating and engaging in conversations with your peers across the
1: industry and across the country. Very nice. Like on the Outcomes Rocket. Absolutely. (laughs) Just tune into the Outcomes Rocket. And then finally, Michael, um, what is the one area of focus that should drive all else in your organization? I think
0: it's an understanding of the mission and how it relates to your customers of your organization. And again, that applies generically. If you're a hospital, it's about your patients. If you're an insurance company, it's about the employers who contract
1: with you. If you're a vendor, it's about producing products that your customers want to purchase. Wonderful. And what would the book be that you recommend to our listeners for the syllabus? Well, this would be an interesting one in keeping with the idea of fun.
0: Uh, Years ago, I read a book, short read called Everything I Need to Know in Life I Learned from Watching Start. Nice. And uh, actually, you know, Star, Star Trek was a groundbreaking series back in the 60s or 70s. And each episode was a small morality play about leadership and humanity. And the book highlights a lot of the episodes and there's a lot of leadership and business
1: learning to be found and seen in those episodes. That's wonderful. Thank you. I'll definitely add that to the list. And, and for the listeners, there's a, a, a new one for you that we haven't heard of yet. Everything I Need to Learn, I Learned from Star Trek. And who's the author of that, Michael? Off the top of my head, I could not tell you. <laughs> no problem. No problem. What we'll do is we'll look up the author. And if you go to Occam's slash Michael, You'll be able to access this entire interview, show notes, any resources that have been mentioned, including this book with the author. So you'll be able to head over to the site and check everything out there. Michael, uh, just really want to thank you for being on. Um, Before we conclude, just want to have you share one final thought and then the best place that the listeners can get in touch with you. The easiest way to get in touch
0: with me, first and foremost, is probably through LinkedIn. I've tried to be... uh, pretty conscientious about paying attention to LinkedIn over the last couple of years. I can also be reached at Michael T. Rowan, 2016 at gmail.com. In terms of a thought to share, I think it's important as leaders for us to think about the concept of servant leadership, the idea that it's not about us as individuals, but it's about the organization. And it's about, especially for leaders, people who are higher up on the pyramid, if you will, to be thinking about how do you empower those below you to accomplish the mission of the organization. Because the reality is any one individual can't get it done, but we get it done through the people who we support. Uh, Again, the concept of servant leadership.
1: Fantastic, Michael. Hey, well, listen, I really appreciate you jumping on the show and uh, looking forward to staying in touch with you and seeing the great things that you do for, for the health system. Thanks again. Thank you.